0: friends my name is adam and this is get pipe podcast where we love to pipe and today, well as always i am joined by my good friend nick aka the producer guy nick what's up man
1: hey adam how you doing brother i'm doing good man
0: doing good this saturday saturday evening kind of recording session
1: that's awesome man like i'm i'm doing pretty well too over here my parents came in town. I think I might have mentioned it real quick last weekend. They went on a cruise out of my city, Norfolk, Virginia, and uh they came back today, so we got to spend some time with them. The only thing is, um we think Everett might have like sprained his ankle. The dude was jumping off our couch like he was we were we watched Spider-Man, so of course he thought he was Spider-Man, and he's like, "I'm Spider-Man, big jump." And he jumped and uh yeah, we think he Got a little crack in that ankle or, or foot or something. So that's a bummer. But he's in great spirits. So he just can't put too much weight on it. So it's it's weird having those things happen. Those injuries happen as a parent. I know they're, it's a part of life.
0: Funny thing is, it's actually arguably not a part of life. There's a Reddit page, a subreddit, and it's people who've never broken a bone. Mm. And every time someone in the group breaks a bone, they come out and they admit it. And they just get so aggressively shamed for having weak (laughs) genes, weak bones. And so far, I am among the crowd who has not broken a bone. And I will be part of. I will be posting about how my best friend's son, at the age of two, is already out. So we will all shame him together in our in our elitist Reddit group.
1: Yeah, I have. It's a real uh, thing. (laughs) I know. I don't doubt it, dude. I there's a Reddit group for everything. I feel like, but uh, that's that's a very obscure one. But I can. I can see how it becomes very elitist because for the longest time, like I was I was I shouldn't say for the longest time, but I was part of that group. Then I, I remembered like then I broke my wrist and that sucked. I mean, to be fair, it was in the sixth grade. But I think maybe it was you we were talking about. We were we we're all kind of amazed like that you hadn't broken anything. As you know, you you skated growing up, like you did all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Typically people have a lot I skated of skated as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you still do. And you know, you do army stuff and that's not, that's prone to injury, you know, at the end of the day, moving, moving stuff around, running, you know, going, going through the the deserts or the forest or whatever you're doing. But, uh, yeah, it's impressive. You are elitist. I will, I will say that it's been, <laughs> <laughs> it's been uh it's been a pretty quiet, quiet weekend for the most part. So far, we got some, some friends coming over tomorrow. I might, if it's nice out, I might break out a pipe, show show it off a little bit. Um but I did meet with a friend this week and that was great. It was great to to just just have a hang out at a local brewery, had a had a beer, smoked um actually smoked
0: You were talking about the same Espresso, right? You were gonna do that?
1: Yeah, I actually didn't smoke that. It was one of those ones where I wanted to kinda of dry that out a little bit, but I didn't, okay. I didn't have the right the right time to kinda of do it properly. So I know with some of the other sort of aromatics that i've had if i were to just smoke it as is granted those were a lot wetter than this one is so i might have been okay to be to Mm -hmm. be fair but the other one i had i think it was a Cornell and deal but it was just like an espresso blend dude it was like sopping wet and i tried smoking it one day on a on a walk which also wasn't super helpful on a lunt it's it's very hard to do um, i was smoking it in a corn cob, which is fitting if you if you look at the title of this episode. But uh, dude, it just wouldn't light. It was brutal. Yeah. So I didn't want that with this. So I smoked some beast, which is good. I, I really like that Perique. and uh, I actually smoked my pipe uh, that I got from Tom from Malcolm's Pipe Shop. Um, I got that in Chicago. I, I I realized I never really talked about what I got at Chicago, and uh, yeah, that was that was a great that was a great smoke. Um, I love the pipe. The wife loves the pipe as well it's it's a little more stubby beautiful sort of uh rustication on it and yeah it was it was a great time it was with a friend who i actually introduced um to pipe smoking i think uh over a year ago it was just two guys getting together talking about life catching up and uh enjoyed a nice shandy so it was, it was a great pairing kind of with that stronger harik blend that the beast is so yeah Kind of forgot about that, but that, that that was a great little thing I did.
0: That's pretty sweet. I know, uh dude. It's it gets weird with those aromatics and and figuring out what the drying time should be. For example, I was I was drying a tobacco, wasn't an aromatic. It was this is just earlier today. a GLP's Navigator. It's a broken flake. That's how it arrives, and very easy to rub out. And I put it on my little leather dish. Had that thing sitting out for maybe three minutes, four minutes, and mm. that was enough to make it okay. dry as opposed to moist. So similar thing actually as we hit our second segment at the very very end of this episode I had to let that guy dry a little bit and we'll we'll get into that but you know it it could be pretty short that one was another maybe five minutes and it was at the perfect hydration level yeah uh, other times I once made a blend it was the there's a famous tobacco it was called the Hobbits weed and that was by I think tobacconist called Tewksbury. They went out of business right as I was getting into pipe smoking. And when they went out of business, they apparently released a, how to make a a blend, a copy of the blend, because it was so well loved. And uh, yeah, it was like Lane BCA, some very cherry, and, you know, one other thing, Lane 1Q. I I don't quite remember. Anyway, so I mixed all these tobaccos together. Long story short, had them mixed for about two months. And then I dumped it out onto a plate, was going to try to smoke it, and I wanted to dry it out. And I checked back probably. Five minutes later, was still too wet. Check back ten minutes later, still too wet. Thirty minutes later, still way too wet. And I was like, "Wow, it's a very moist tobacco." At the very, very end of it all, I want to say a week. Insane, man.
1: Oh my gosh, I was about to say four days, but a freaking week. Oh,
0: I might even say two weeks. I think oh that's wrong. Oh my gosh, I think that's wrong. But well, it was definitely at least one week. Way too. And long. <laughs> I remember putting it back in the jar, and I was, I was not comfortable with how moist it still was. <laughs> Uh, long story short, I did not enjoy that tobacco. Did not do the wonders that it seemed like this original mm. blend had done for, for many folks out there. But yeah, it can it can be weird. So I, I don't blame you for kind of skipping out on the Saint Espresso. I will say that Saint Espresso doesn't need my yeah. tin from last year didn't need a ton of drying time. I've been smoking that all week in preparation for you know what what is now last Friday's drop.
1: Yeah. No, no, it's yeah. cool, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping tomorrow that. That I'll be able to, to smoke that, maybe, maybe show off, show off a pipe to to some non-pipe smokers. Show that it that it is good. I really like that um that post you did today, or you reposted it about Briar Ginger, I think it was. He had talked about, I think he ran a 50-mile race, something ridiculous. And basically he was saying how there's a place for fitness in pipe smoking. That's not what this episode's about. We're not gonna push that. But like time and time again, you we've met people in this community who are extremely active. And I think if you were to tell a, a quote unquote layperson who's not in the community, like, oh yeah, you know, Adam and I, we do uh, intensive exercises four, five, six times a week. Oh, we know people who are triathletes that smoke a pipe. Oh, this guy just ran 50 miles and smokes a pipe every day or every other day or whatever it is. It's like, that doesn't click with people because they just think cigarettes. Anyways. I'll get off my soapbox now. But what else? You, what else you got going on, man? Yeah,
0: I'll, I'll give everyone an update. We had talked about it last week about the house hunting thing, and I then injected that our offer was declined, and we had another offer waiting on the table. That offer was also declined. So we're, we're oh. still trying to find a damn house, and we're running out of time, man. Yeah, it's it's not super great. We're trying to fit another one in this weekend. Submit an offer on a house that at this point we haven't even seen. We just saw pictures, and we're just we're just running out of time, man. So I don't know. My my point is I'm less house hunting and a more smoke studio hunting. <laughs> I really want a place that has this upper deck studio. That's that's what I want. So this this right above the garage, little studio place where I can make my videos. We can record podcasts live eventually. And of course, make into a smoking lounge of some sort. That's something I really want to do. We're going to be there for about three ish years. So I figure that's the, the perfect opportunity to whereas here. Though I do have that rabbit air, which I'm very fortunate uh, that those folks send me one, I, I haven't really got much use out of it in this particular office. It's right when you walk in the right. house, man. It's the first door on the right. We're renting it out pretty soon. We were only going to be here for six to seven months anyway, so right. I was like, it's just not really worth investing the time into making this the way I want it to be. And I'm one of those people, man. If I when I want one thing, what's that? I have like that not disorder, but that phenomena where. I just, I just want a lot. I want the most. I want the big thing. Mm,
1: yeah, it's like you don't want to pay for five little things to. Yeah, you, I would rather just save and thing. wait. Yeah,
0: very good point. So yeah. that that's kind of what, what my eyes are set to. Obviously, I want the house to be cool, and that's just another whole aspect, but. I will keep you updated in the next Get Piped podcast episode, which will launch next Thursday. But until then, we're, we're still on the hunt. But one one cool thing before we get into our primary topic, man, as I can't seemingly get away from Chicago, I, I do have one last acquisition. And it's unfortunate because producer guy just talked about how he didn't even get to talk about his acquisitions. Yeah, Maybe we'll find a way to plug that in in another episode. But you, of course, all had heard the Cover My Ash episode where I was able to go through my acquisitions. And towards the end, I did mention how I was in the hunt for another piece that I wanted to originally purchase, but just didn't have the funds. And then I was going to make a deal with smoking pipes, maybe sell off some you know, old stock and and see if I can get some store credit. Just to cut this one short, I did get the piece. The piece has arrived. I was able to amass a great deal of credit. So if you have ever thought about sending this ain't sponsored or anything, I'm just giving you my honest opinion. If you were ever considered sending smoking pipes to smoking pipes, it's a great option. though. They'd give you a full breakdown of what they would charge for that particular pipe, how much they would give you, and they would give you that breakdown in both cash or credit. That was really awesome because if you say no, if you don't like what they're offering, they'll send you back the pipes free of charge, which is really awesome. If they don't like the pipes, they'll send it back free of charge, and they'll they'll inform you, hey, we're, we're sending you this one right back to your place or whatever. And then, yeah, it was it was very smooth. And another good thing about that is when you don't like the offer, you now have free pipe appraisal. And I'm not saying abuse the system, but (laughs) I then for all the pipes that they didn't want or the pipes that they thought they could get less out of what I thought was valued at, I just went to Redeem Pipes. Uh, Our good friend Ben Smith over at Redeem Pipes. And I said, hey, this is what they wanted for this piece. I think it's worth way more. What do you think? And we talked about it. And you know, we both came to the same agreement and he was willing to give me a similar breakdown. Hey, for cash i'll give you this much for credit i'll give you this much uh so so those pipes that smoking pipes in like are it gonna end up going to him and uh hopefully you now maybe you guys might pick them up because they're they're sweet pipes off of that going back to the piece i got we're talking il cerchio il cerchio uh, means the circle i believe in italian and my good friend angelo over there he's the gentleman the the rather newer he's an extremely extremely skilled pipe maker he's been doing it for i think five or six years i mean i would say that's relatively new in the, the grand scheme of things right yeah but he learned on there some masters and he just got great work man and, and it's this little blowfish and I'll, I'll post some pics it's got this golden inlay in the shank uh he has this really awesome stem work where his bits are kind of like a saddle when you're looking at the you're looking at the bottom of the bit or rather the top doesn't really matter just like the top of the pipe Typical stems will have just like a straight cut, right? You know, the the stem will be flush, it'll be square. His is like a little bit of a U, and it's a really interesting piece that adds to his pipes. Yeah, man, this one's just really, really awesome, and I was able to get it with that store credit. Still have some money left over, man, and it's a good gig. So with that, the Chicago Pipe Show acquisition is finally complete. I still consider this, (laughs) albeit a a difficult one, a, a Chicago Pipe Show acquisition. I remember holding this pipe in hand and saying, man, I need to get this pipe and uh yeah it's it's just absolutely phenomenal so i haven't smoked yet i will following this week when i get out of the field that's a topic for later yeah no that's pretty much all i got man i'm very excited with it and happy to be a pipe smoker
1: i really just want to say we appreciate all the support from our listeners so far uh we just ask that you keep sharing the podcast with all your friends who might find it interesting as well we got a great great topic today a little, little history um But if you're interested in supporting the show financially, every contribution plays a significant role in helping us deliver the best possible content. Visit www.getpiped.co, that's .co, where you can either join our Buy Around Club or purchase some awesome Get Piped merchandise. And I will say, we got some some new stuff coming for merch. I I, I think it's going to be... Some really good stuff, so so stay tuned for that. But with all of that, with our Buy Around Club, I just want to give a shout-out to Nicholas Walker from France. We've got some international Buy Around Club members. Uh, he got a Buy Around at the coffee level. Thank you so much, Nicholas Walker. Thank you so much for the support. Again, everything counts when it comes to, to get piped, so we appreciate it. But we've got a great show planned this week with another edition of Anecdotal. And following our primary topic, we will dive into our segments, including the ever-popular This or That, as well as our seldom-occurring segment titled Blend, Blend.
0: Oh, yes, big thanks to the producer guy for the producer guy things, and a big thanks to our friend Nicholas Walker over in France. Merci, merci. Is that French for thanks or something? Merci.
1: Yeah, that's close enough. Okay, good. Is <laughs> saying like an insult or something? <laughs> no. I
0: don't uh, know. I, I'm very French, man. Uh, it's so weird you don't i don't look it or sound it. it or know it At all. unfortunately no, but that's okay i don't know I'll go let's go to france let's go to saint claude and
1: i've been to france i've been to france france is great yeah the sounds most
0: cool fun. i'm a big 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 french guy big yeah. appreciator of french things
1: hey you know? the french uh... <laughs> baguette
0: <laughs> <laughs> or is that italian
1: no baguette is french yeah. okay <laughs> yeah, no.
0: <laughs> okay now before we move into our primary topic i want to remind you to take a deep breath Savor this moment, kindle your flame and pipe as you please.
1: So for our topic today. We got a little anecdotal action here. Anecdotal is a combination of two words. It's a combination of anecdote, which means a short or amusing or interesting story about a real incident or person. And doddle, meaning a remnant of tobacco left in a pipe after smoking. Adam came up with this name. Uh, It's it's phenomenal. So with this series, we, we dive into a little bit of history here. So we're, we're diving into the history of corncob pipes in this episode. So that's where you get that short, amusing, or interesting story about a real incident. And the doddle in this case is, we hope that you're, you know, you're sitting back, relaxing, enjoying a pipe, right? We want you to be enjoying this moment. So we're, we're giving you a little anecdotal here. Previous editions of anecdotal from the Get Pipe bookshelf include episode 056, 033, 024, and 012. Uh, all those editions, we've held discussions on historical figures like Oppenheimer and Bertrand Russell, as well as event-based discussion on clay pipes. But like a lot of our series and a lot of things in life, we always want to improve. We always maybe sometimes adjust our vision of what the series is and what it's going to be. In the future, and some of those recent series have been the pipe dreams as well as our uh, what's up in smoke series. We've we've wanted to to make it better for you all, um, and and this one as well, right? So, we Adam, you know, has has a great vision and you know, evolution of how this is is going to go. So, without me continuing to ramble, Adam, what, what do you got for us in, in terms of where our vision is for it? I am
0: on this revolutionizing kick right now you know it, it really started with cover my ash and every episode since has been you know some kind of remodeling and i found that as we would produce new series they were generally generally finished products but had some some points where they could have been improved and i think those points were really highlighted we, we discovered those points as more and more series were produced as we started to see some kind of overlap in the content so this one, like a, a huge problem we've had with with anecdotal, and, and one of the reasons why it doesn't show up as much, is we've been wanting to relate it to, you know, maybe an important figure, but then we immediately think of our Smoke Lore series, right? So we are now trying to differentiate the difference. Now Smoke Lore is primarily content-based, where, you know, an individual writes us a letter, and then we have to respond to that letter, they're asking a question, but it's paramount to have some kind of background on that character, right? You know, these historical figures and, and to understand where they're coming from and why they're asking that question. What anecdotal does is now, at least as we continue to move forward, it's going to allow us to more focus on these important events throughout pipe smoking history. Maybe it's something like the Oppenheimer event in the the, the creation of the Manhattan Project and it's, its oversight throughout the war. And now the anecdotal series is just going to Really focus in on the, the deep nitty gritty of some of those historical pieces. The series can be very expansive in terms of maybe the advent of Briar. So another awesome piece about Get Piped is our many changing and evolving series allows us to cover many of the same topics over very different formats. We did our Pipe Right, which was a fun creation of a very cringe creation, but it was a fun creation of how fun. Briar it was, was discovered, you know, and it was all made up, but it was based in some truth. Right. In the future, that would be a great anecdotal where we actually just give you the hard, cold facts, understand how briar was used in pipe making and its uh, effects on on pipe making today. Obviously, it's still used and whatnot, Uh, but we could, you know, cover a lot of things where briar came from, why briar from here is good or why briar from there is good or whatnot. But anyway, the kind of semis anecdotal is it's a great opportunity for us to learn. Talk about some history. Talk about something cool. Learn some things about the things that we know a lot about, but don't know a lot about. We all know what a corn cob pipe is. We all know they're cool. And we all know, all know they're inexpensive. But how many corn cob companies were there? How many Ooh. are still around? What's the know. tomorrow of corn cobs like? Who buys corn cob pipes anymore? <laughs> you know, it's it's something that we can break down. But the, the history of corn cob is, is really, really cool, man.
1: Let's dive into a little bit of the history of corncob pipes, and, and we'll have a discussion as we go as well. So, Washington, Missouri, has long been known as the corn cob pipe capital of the world. And in fact, the Missouri Mirsham Company, the world's oldest and largest manufacturer of cool, sweet, smoking corncob pipes, began the tradition for which Washington became famous. In 1869, a Dutch immigrant woodworker named Henry Tibb first began production of the corncob pipe. Legend has it that a local farmer whittled a pipe out of corn cob and liked it so much, he asked Henry Tibb to try turning some on his lathe. Because the farmer was well-pleased with the results, Henry made and sold a few more in his woodworking shop. Tibb's pipes proved to be such a fast-selling item, he soon spent more time making pipes for customers than working with his wood and began full-time production of corn cob pipes. In 1907, the H. Tibb and Son Co., that's a name, became... The Missouri Meerschaum Company. The word Meerschaum is derived from a German word meaning sea foam. Meerschaum is a Turkish clay used in high-grade pipes. Tib likened his light, porous pipes in their cool smoke to that of the more expensive Meerschaum pipes and coined the name Missouri Meerschaum. Tib and a chemist friend devised an innovative system of applying a plaster-based substance to the outside of the corncob bowls. In 1878, Tib patented this process. A nationwide distribution system was eventually established for the sale of Tibbs Pipes. Other pipe firms also developed. So by 1925, there were as many as a dozen corncob pipe companies in Franklin County, Missouri, most of them in Washington. Today, Missouri Meerschaum stands alone as the first and only surviving piece of this living history. These gentle pipes are smoked and loved all over the world, as well as being used as souvenirs, often imprinted with the name of a city, business, or event. Wow. So right there, there's a lot of history that I didn't even necessarily know about. Yeah, let's let's walk back
0: to Tib Man. This is like a, a really interesting little tale, and whether it's true or not, I just like the idea of accepting it as the truth. The idea <laughs> of a, a local wood guy, you know, like corn cob pipes weren't they didn't invent corn cob pipes. Right. But they did, in a way, if that makes yeah. sense. So people smoked tobacco out of many things back in the day. We know this wood, bone, stone. Right. And it was probably not unlikely for an individual to smoke out of a corn cob. For someone to say, right. hey, let's take this corn, you know, shuck it. It's this old piece that's been dried. You know, Throw some tobacco in and figure it out. But with Tib being a woodworker and a local farmer coming to him, saying, hey, can you make a, a corn cob out of this with your lathe? I bet a lot of the people who are making... Corn cob pipes at the time didn't have lathes. If, if anything, I would argue, if, if this story's true, Henry Tibb would be the very first person mm. to turn a pipe on the lathe. You know, I would oh. imagine any other farmer who would have smoked a cob probably just did it all by hand. And having Henry be a dedicated woodworker, it now created a real evolution of corn cob pipes. So in a way, he did invent the corn cob pipe just because of that wood, woodworking background.
1: Right. I'm wondering, like, what did he use for power for that lathe? was it turned like was it turned like how was it i don't know i'm just curious like i i don't know if there's there's even an actual answer for that i mean was it water did he have his son you know tib and son co like was his son just turning the lathe i i wonder how that how that worked in 1880 a wooden lathe would typically be powered
0: using one of the following methods treadle powered lathes were common during this period the lathe would have been a large flywheel connected to a foot operated treadle By pumping the treadle up and down, the operator would generate rotational power that would transfer to the lathe spindle. Hand power, so we could do it by hand, and then belt power. Another common method powering lathes in the 1880s was through a belt-driven system. A lathe would have a large pulley or flywheel connected to the belt, which would then be driven by an external power source, so maybe that's steam, uh, that's where your water wheel was coming in. But imagine he probably didn't have that, uh, but yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so we now know how pipes were made via lathe in the 1880s and before. <laughs> but okay, as as we move forward, let's talk about less about the mechanism of how the pipe was made, right? Let's talk about the means of how a pipe is made. I guess the oh. process is what I'm getting at. So okay. corn cobs are it's not as easy as you think. You can't just go to the grocery store, buy ear of corn, chuck it, what? cut it in half. You know, turn it on a lathe and now you have a corn cob, right? So, would yeah. imagine a lot of folks have tried this, a lot of enthusiast pipe smokers. I would too. That's the first thing I would do. Oh, let's go buy some corn. Yeah. But the point of the corn is cobs are are strong and hardy, but only when they're dry, right? So the first thing you do is once all your corn's harvested, it needs to be stored typically outdoor in, in massive bins, then it's going to be shelled. Once all the corn is shelled, they're then set out to dry, these 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 are drying for at least two years, all these corn cobs that have been freshly shelled. And this is what begins that aging process. So again, generally two years is the the going mark. Anything less than that, and you know, there's just gonna be flaws in the cob, it won't right. it'll be way too soft. A lot of us know when we smoke a corn cob, uh, especially ones that don't have a briar plug towards the bottom or any kind of hardwood plug, you can easily poke through the bottom of the cob Uh and that's from the moisture. If you're trying to clean out the the dottle here, you know, you can really put a pinhole inside the bottom of the pipe. That would happen far more often to the sides of the bowl as well if, if it wasn't properly, you know, aged, dried, and cured essentially. Right, right. So that's why that is very important. But once they're shelled and aged it's generally ready to become a pipe right and the first thing they need to do is then load these what what missouri Meersham does is they load them in the chutes uh and their factory is really cool i have not been i've seen some youtube videos of the factory tour so you can kind of see all this unfold you gotta do like a get piped
1: factory tours
0: you know just just plan them you know get an event going and hey we're going to missouri Meersham on you know august 15th or whatever i don't know right eventually we'll, we'll plan that out okay Anyway, so this process is pretty sweet. So they, they shoot all of these, and I'm talking, this is a massive, they put out a lot of corn cobs. Just imagine all the corn going in through these shoots. Eventually, they're sorted into size, and, and the size determines which type of pipe they'll be. So we think about, I mean, they have a ton of different lines, and this is specifically for Missouri Meersham, but you can really extrapolate this process to the other companies that are no longer in existence, but we'll talk about a little bit later. But good example is the MacArthur, right? So the MacArthur is a massive bowl pipe. Uh, maybe the chamber's not as big as some folks think it is we'll talk about that one in a little bit but that is a massive piece of corn it's basically a ear of corn you know you're having on thanksgiving day <laughs> um but but once they're they're separated into size they're ready to be turned on the lathe they'll just bore that tobacco hole and then uh, they'll they'll start turning these these corn cobs on the on these lathes typically they will add that wooden plug and that's that's generally a hardwood uh, some additional pipe makers, pipe cob modders, whatever you want to call them, they might do what's a briar plug just to add some flair to it. But that briar plug, that wood plug is, again, to prevent any kind of moisture really collecting at the bottom of that corn. This is going to happen no matter how aged your, your corn is. You could dry age this thing for six years. You're still going to get that moisture. It's, it's corn. And that's why it's a $7 pipe, not a, you know, $120 briar. Right, right. Uh, but then the cobs go to one of several turning machines. Now, each machine produces a different shape, and a few pipes, like, again, as we talked about the MacArthur, uh, there's the Country Gentleman, those are all hand-turned on a lathe. So there's, again, they put out a lot of pipes, so most of these are factory to the max, and then a couple of them have to be done with a little bit of handwork. Now, the next step after that is filling, and that's essentially applying uh, plaster Paris. If you're a wood guy, you know what that is. If you're not, you're just like me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's like the, what is that, like the... I've had to use it. I, I tried building a tried building a a forge, and for oh, some yeah. reason I needed plaster or Paris or something. <laughs> anyway, the, they'll apply that to the surface of the bowls. So once they're dried for either a day or two, the next process is what they call the white scouring, or essentially sanding the bowl to to make it smooth. Bowls or less expensive pipes are varnished in a, a concrete mixer and spread out on wire racks to dry, and then bowls of the higher cost. Uh, Relative, we're pushing the twenty dollar range, maybe seventeen dollars. These are going to be placed on spindles, and then they rotate, and then they're sprayed with uh, some kind of lacquer, some kind of coating. Now, after the bolts are completely dry, that's when assembly begins. And and one of the interesting things about the assembly is it's it's rather human intensive. So this is the part where all the factory workers at Missouri Mearsham are really getting their hands uh, dirty, for lack of a better term. So the wood stems, the the shank that those are going to be painted uh, the cob like ink uh, that paint they're going to apply that same color paint. And then once the stem is ready, the stem is then glued and tapped into the bowl. And this is all done by hand, like I said. The bowls are then patched around the stem, and any small irregularities in the cob are then patched as well. Finally, the pipes are ready for packaging and shipping to all parts of the world. One of the really cool pieces about this, man, is you can see this. Like, when you look at a corn cob from Missouri Meersham, you can see the the imperfections like it's a corn cob pipe mm-hmm. that was glued and tapped in right Like it's it's not a there's no secret here yeah and it's just it does to a degree add some human connection to the corn cob and this is, again very factory model you know from the shoots of corn from the field to to the factory to the bottom Dang, floor i, I thought you know, every but,
1: 1 million and 12 of them were hidden, were <laughs>
0: and artisan made yeah. corn cob pipes yeah. but uh, no, I mean, but like you could see videos, man, and you can see these people like they have great quality control. You know, yeah. there's folks just coming into the factory every day to to tap some stems in, to apply coats to the the higher cost pipes, and it's it's a really wonderful thing. And dude, it's just so American in nature just just the corn cob, the the factory setting. You know, now thankfully, knock on wood, quality care for workers. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's just <laughs> a great place to be as an American man.
1: Knock on wood. Get it because it's corn. ooh, Oh, knock on corn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I agree though. Like, honestly, one of my best smoking pipes is a Missouri Meersham cob It was actually a gift um from haven't seen much from him, but uh good old smoky stash. I'll give you a little shout-out, brother. He uh he sent me a cob as a little poker sitter whatever you want to call it. Uh for uh, it kind of announced that we were pregnant with our daughter. So dude, one of my favorites Dude, cobs are are forever going to be underrated.
0: They will never, ever be properly rated. And the reason why I say that is a corn cob, the quality of the smoke outside of taste. So you're going to get some corn naturally, right? Outside of the taste of like a seasoned briar, the experience of the smoke in terms of how hard you got to draw, given the same conditions of a well-packed pipe, it's going to smoke very similarly to a briar pipe. That is my opinion, and I'm going to go to the grave saying that. There's definitely differences, right? Mm. But my takeaway point, a good engineered corn cob, like I mean, there's going to be issues with some of them, but typically, a good corn cob is going to smoke
1: like a Peterson pipe.
0: Yeah, man. You're
1: not going to get too much gurgle. It's going to smoke. And what's, what's funny is there's a friend of ours, prominent pipe maker. He had mentioned us at one point. He's like, I make these beautiful pipes. I got my first corn cob, and dudes, I loved it. Like, I loved it. I, I, di- I didn't know what I was missing out on, in a way. And so it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, you and I, we often talk about artisan pipes, and they get they get expensive. Like, they really do. But when you get down to it, man, if it smokes, it smokes. If you have a corn cob pipe, and that's all you smoke, and that's what you love, even though I will say, I, I think everyone should, you know, so there are some people who don't want an artisan pipe or a factory pipe, or uh, maybe a higher grade factory pipe, because they're like, I don't want to... N- I don't want to then smoke something really nice and have to, you know, mm-hmm. go back to whatever it was. Or maybe they were smoking like nice Petersons and then they finally got an artisan and they were like, it doesn't compare. Like it's so much better. So I, I get that, but everyone's got to have a corn cup no matter what.
0: Like I said, I'd love to make like a tier system yeah, of just specific smoking quality. The top tier would mm-hmm. be your highest grade artisans, right? Highest, but that'd be at like a A tier yeah. and then B tier would be peterson corn cobs yeah, <laughs> c man. tier would be like a basket pipe that might need some modifications anything below that would probably be just a poorly engineered pipe yeah. these aren't massive jumps right so oh. i specifically put corn cobs with pretty much every factory pipe you get the same experience that is why they will forever be underrated, underrated <laughs> because people think oh cheap you know it's it's not as good of quality that is not true Now, there's drawbacks, right? Like, so the whole moist bottom of the cob, if you don't have a plug in there, that's a drawback that you won't get with Briar. But when we're talking about drawing from your pipe in the same packed bowl, (laughs) it's the same thing, man. And and I think that's really, really awesome. And, you know, there's also some other pros in terms of, you know, we think of uh, folks who enjoy trying new blends in corn cobs. Corn, though, when I say it might have a corn flavor, that's generally the first dozen or so smokes. That's kind of pushing it. After the first few, to me, it tends to go away. To
1: be fair, like I don't think I even noticed that.
0: This is for hypersensitive folks. That's why I say only a few for me. I know, yeah. I know some folks who will smoke like twelve or so and be like, "Yeah, I can." It's finally going away. Those people have way more fine-tuned palates than, right. than I. Yeah, but they're they're a great opportunity to try new tobaccos. You know, whether it's an unsmoked or smoked, you can really find what the tobacco has to offer. Whereas briar will season more significantly than that of the
1: cob. And what I've actually been interested in is kind of some of the companies that produced corn cob pipes outside of obviously the Missouri Meersham company. And it seems as if there was a few over time. And, you know, in in that brief introduction on the history of it, like I mentioned that there were a lot, obviously there's, there's some names that have stuck out, um, and others that just kind of faded to history. I know I had mentioned some tobacco companies when I went on my my little trip for that wedding that were in the hotel room. They were just random companies that no one probably had ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things back in the 10s, 20s, you know, there's probably just company after company just coming out and, and doing stuff. So I think some of that was similar here, but we, we see Missouri Meerschaum Who's stood the test of time, the oldest and most well known corn cob pipe manufacturer in the U.S., established in 1869 and continues to produce today. There's another one that I hadn't heard of, uh, which is Walker Brier Works. This was founded in 1913. This company initially produced Brier pipes, but also manufactured corn cob pipes, including popular Dr. Graybow line. Then you have Herschel and Bendham. This company was a major corncob pipe manufacturer during the early 20th century. It produced pipes under various brand names, including K. Woody. Uh, Then you have Wally Frank Limited or Wally Frank LTD. Wally Frank was a prominent tobacconist and pipe retailer. While the company did not actually manufacture pipes directly, it sold corncob pipes produced by other manufacturers under its own brand name. So not a a producer, but they did sell them. We have the Medeco Pipe Company. Medeco was a pipe accessory company that offered corn cod pipes among its product line. The pipes were produced by various manufacturers and sold under the Medeco brand. Again, not a manufacturer, but a prominent company that did sell them at one time. And then we have the Old Dominion Company. Some history on it. The first critical part of the Old Dominion Pipe Company story centers around the preservation of an heirloom Indian corn that had been grown on the eastern shore of the United States for over 140 years. Bill Savage discovered this heirloom Indian corn variety that was on the verge of extinction and worked to preserve this piece of American agricultural history that dates back to the 1840s. As part of the harvesting product, one byproduct that began to accumulate in large piles was rather thick and colorful corn cobs. Bob, as an avid pipe smoker, found that he could make very simple but functional corn cob pipes from the cobs that smoked extremely well with a variety of tobacco blends and were light and easy to clench. From his own experience smoking the cobs, he began to pursue the idea of manufacturing Indian corn cob pipes with traditional bamboo stems. And as many of you may know, Old Dominion has been purchased by Missouri Meerschaum Company, and you see those pipes Sold through uh, their website today, um, and they are well known. Uh, one well known one is the Virginia Planter. It's got the corn cob with that that bamboo stem. Just a very well known one. Um, I will say Virginia is the old Dominion state. We have ODU, which is Old Dominion University. So just kind of that that cradle of American, you know, inception with the the Yorktown, the Williamsburg, and and all those those areas. So which actually we talked a lot about in. The clay pipe anecdotal, uh, which is cool. So you see, you see a lot of history in this area of Virginia, and uh, I, I think it's really great to to see that that history still alive today, especially in uh, Missouri Mirsham and that Old Dominion Company. Yeah, Old Dominion
0: man is really really cool. Uh, I I was a huge fan of their pieces for a really long time. I always actually favored them over at least the oh. style over the Missouri Meersham. And was it the stem? You think? Yeah, it was 100% the stem. So they're very unique. The the company who started actually in, I think, 2013. So this is not, you know, they have roots of the 1840s, but that's just based on the the corn that they had discovered, right? Or not really discovered, but wanted to preserve in terms of the history. And then he's like, oh, if we make corn cobs like this, that would be really cool. And that's where the idea came from. And then instead of using like a wood shank with a plastic stem or some kind of acrylic, he decided to keep a more natural, maybe like Tom Sawyer-esque. And it was just having that corn Mm. cob, that that final turn cob with that bamboo stem. And these bamboo stems were not, not typical bamboo that you would see in maybe, you know, not the knuckled bamboo. This is literally just a small rod the most narrow, almost like a drinking straw, but narrower, nothing crazy like you'd see on an artisan pipe now. And what this did was it added an unrealized demand in the sphere of pipe smoking because Missouri Mirsham still was holding it down as the corncob leader and really only company still around until they came and they said, instead of trying to use this corn that we're trying to, you know, keep from the verge of extinction or whatever, instead of just copying what Missouri Mearsham did, they wanted to fill that gap, which they realized was the more natural, original feel of a corn cob, less plastic, less wood, yeah. more just cob. And that's what these stems do. It, it just, you focus on the cob. Yeah. The downside of it is extremely uncomfortable to clench because it's <laughs> a cylinder. You're clenching on a cylinder. But if you got some gnarly teeth and you really grind it down, I've I've been able to get one pretty flat and still smoke well. But they're really cool. And I always thought that they were really awesome. They would sell out very fast. This was a very small company until, of course, as we know, Missouri Meersham came in and, and acquired the Old Dominion Company. And that was back in 2021, so very recently. So that was a good choice. I think that was a good choice for mm. them. Uh, I think early 2016 was when they went from using that old corn, the historical Indian corn, to the typical white corn that you would see Missouri Meersham. By 2021, when Missouri Meersham was ready to send them an offer to purchase them out and manufacture their pipes faster, it was all around just a good gig. And outside of Old Dominion as well, was uh, outside of their cobs anyway, was also clay. They had some clay pieces. So now, today, Missouri Meersham will produce those Old Dominion-style cobs at a much more efficient rate than they were at that small company in virginia and they also got some of those clays too so it's just really really awesome stuff man i actually have a few we gave one away from a giveaway but i have two little ones that are really awesome man they're great field pipes and they just really capture that corn cob feel something that i think their regular line just doesn't and that's not a dig to missouri Meersham. no Uh, because not every day i want to smoke a I'm an old farmer boy cob, you know, other times I want a functional corn cob pipe with, yeah. you know, the, the acrylic stem or the plastic stem and, you know?
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, it's like a, it's a weird thing where I see the old dominion style being sort of like a, um... you wouldn't
0: want to do like a civil war reenactment with not an old dominion.
1: Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's where I was getting at. I would buy multiple dominions, if that makes sense to have and smoke on a, Warm summer's day, and I feel like, uh, or I'm tilling my garden, or whatever it is, or I'm picking weeds. Like I would, I would do that. But yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about some of the some of the effects of pipe smoking, as well as you know, we're one of the main figures in uh, corn cob pipe smoking history is none other than our friend General Douglas MacArthur, um, or as as we like to call him, Dougie. Do we? Yeah, we do. Did we? Yeah, we did. No, we don't. No we no we don't. No, we don't. It was a joke because he's he's been dead for a while and he's not actually our good friend because we never met him. Well we have because he wrote us a letter. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Just a recap on on MacArthur and we'll go into then some of the effects that not only uh Missouri Mersham had, but as well as, as General MacArthur and a lot of these legacy companies has had, but General MacArthur had a distinguished military career as is one of only nine individuals to achieve the prestigious five-star rank in U.S. history. Served in World War I, World War II, and the Korean War, demonstrating his bravery, strategic prowess, and leadership abilities. MacArthur's involvement with the military began at birth as the son of Lieutenant General Arthur MacArthur Jr., a Civil War veteran graduated from West Point as a top-ranking student and went on to serve as an engineering officer and aide-de-camp in the Philippines. His valor in various military campaigns earned him recognition, including the Medal of Honor. Uh, He became renowned for his fearless leadership and was promoted to the rank of brigadier general during the First World War. And then after the war, he held key positions such as superintendent at West Point and chief of staff of the U.S. Army. Here we get into to kind of the, the bigger stuff. In 1941, MacArthur was recalled to service and played a crucial role in the Pacific theater during World War II. He successfully implemented the strategy of triphibious warfare and led the liberation of Philippines. When the Japanese first attacked Pearl Harbor, right after that, they went after the Philippines. Um, and he said something like, I will be back. And uh, man, he came back. Um, so he was promoted the rank of general of the army. A five-star rank in nineteen forty-four after all he did during World War II, and you know, he still still had some time with that. But after the war, he served as the military governor of Japan and played a pivotal role in its reconstruction. So we bombed them, but we're gonna rebuild them back. Um and I believe he actually accepted the surrender um of the Japanese on that uh, that battleship. I forget forget the name, but he he actually accepted that and one of the main things that was really cool i'd say about macarthur is he didn't want to get rid of the emperor um I, i'm pretty sure he advocated for keeping it as a symbol of you know japanese history he did advocate for that post post war um so all that During the Korean War, he commanded the United Nations forces and achieved initial success against North Korean forces. However, his disagreement with President Truman led to his controversial dismissal. MacArthur retired from the military in 1951 after 52 years of service. Despite his controversies surrounding him, MacArthur's contributions to American military achievements in multiple wars are undeniable, and his legacy remains a significant chapter in Army history passed away in 1964, leaving behind an enduring phrase, old soldiers never die, they just fade away. As well as leaving behind that old phrase, he left around quite a memorable and uh, one could argue legendary pipe in his name, in his stead. That is the General Douglas MacArthur five-star from Zuri Meersham
0: Company. Dude, I am a huge MacArthur fan. And, and part of that, honestly, is the fact that he's like the main pipe-smoking guy, right, in the military. Of course, he had some controversies. When we say that, it's because producer guy had kind of mentioned he had a 51, 52-year career, right? Part of that, it ended in the 30s. You know, he did well, served well, retired. And then World War II happens and he's asked to come back, Right. And then his entire army is just pretty much destroyed. Not as necessarily folks, but like the, the equipment was destroyed in the Philippines and that's you're right. So he does leave and he says, I shall return. That's what he says. I love Uh, it. And, and, uh, yeah, lo and behold, he does come back kicking ass and he says, I've returned. (laughs) I have returned (laughs) four years later, four or five years later. But you know, this guy was just, was just awesome. And he was ready to execute a full scale invasion of of mainland Japan. Uh, and, uh, (laughs) He was ready for it. He wanted to, you know, the, the entire government was Russia at the time, Soviet Union was on board with it. All of our allies were on board with it. And then that's when, dude, it's funny how this all comes together. And one of our last anecdotals, we talk about how we diverted by using the, the atomic bombs. Yeah, That led to obviously victory. Right. But it also led to some controversy, maybe not immediately, but later. So when he's serving as a general in in Korea, he was very aggressive. So aggressive, he said, hey, that she worked. Those bombs worked over there. Why don't we use them here? It'll work here. Uh, And while he might have been right, that's not what we were trying to do. We understood the everlasting compounding effects of that. And President Truman was just not having it. So he was actually dismissed and he was dismissed after MacArthur publicly disagreed with the president. I don't know if it was like a press conference or what it was, but he was just very adamant about essentially talking bad about, you know, President Truman and his leadership. So that led to his dismissal. Uh, other things that are interesting with the the controversial aspect is he was, dude, people loved him. The people loved him. They also thought that he was starting to act as if he was going to run for presidency. Mm. and. You know, I can't help but think part of the reason why these people loved him, one, outside of being a established military commander, getting us out of World War II, accepting the surrender. And I got to say, man, that famous corncob pipe, mm. everyone's seen the picture and it just commanded some kind of presence, some kind of authority. Yeah. And the people respected it. You know, they, they saw this man smoking this giant corn cob, and they were like, wow, that's a general. It just it was an association that they didn't think they were mm. making. It was just naturally there. And in a weird way, maybe this episode could be titled How the Missouri Mirror five star corn cob pipe led to his you know, dismissal. Because again, like Truman knew that the folks, civilian populace, American populace, loved this this general, but there was definitely some disagreements and serving 30, 40 years in war. Dude, I, I guess love. at this point, 50. The guy needed a rest anyway. So it was it was probably a good time.
1: What's interesting though is Eisenhower then went on to become president. And it's like the European theater guy got the presidency. Oh, yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I read a great book on Eisenhower, and he was very reluctant at first to run for president uh, under the the Republican ticket. But same sort of thing. Like, you have these war heroes coming back. Yeah, it's just interesting how one kind of took that more public path and the other didn't. Eisenhower was more of the quiet type, like he grew up the Midwest, it was just this quiet farm boy, whereas MacArthur kind of always seemed like this boisterous. Well, yeah, his
0: father was was a general in the Civil War, right? Arthur MacArthur, what a name.
1: <laughs> and it's like, it seemed as if MacArthur was probably primed, should have been primed to become that public figure, and he just wasn't. So it goes to show maybe some of those controversies had an effect.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, man. Um, but, but one thing that is certain is just he was a pipe smoker through and through. So that, that was, was not a show. Yeah, no. It wasn't a decoration. wasn't a prop. This was his thing. And one interesting aspect that a lot of folks get wrong is while the five-star Missouri Mearsham, the MacArthur pipe, is massive, it's also not. When we look at it, we see big corn, big pipe. In reality, we have big corn with shank hitting the middle of the bowl. So medium pipe. There's actually a lot of wasted corn on there in terms of bowl size or capacity, chamber size, right? So while the bowl is big, that chamber is small. I don't think it's wasted in terms of style. I think it's amazing that they've done that. And what is really amazing is that was a very famous design. So I think in Smoke Lore way back when, this is over a year ago, go back and check that episode out with MacArthur. It's a very good episode. We're going to hit on some of the similar pieces with at least Missouri Mearsham's impact. But to kind of surmise, he had been writing letters to the folks at Missouri Meersham. They were sending him pipes. But before that famous photo, that cob was a a pipe that they'd been selling since the 1880s. But what he did was, being a general, you actually don't have that much time to be smoking a pipe. You know, when you're outside on the battlefield, doing your battlefield circulation, sure. But when you're in meetings and stuff, it's less about sitting there smoking. And it's more about going to different places Getting on phone calls, you know, you just don't have this time to smoke hour and a half pipe like that 1880s design was yielding. So Douglas MacArthur writes to Missouri Meersham and he requests them to make some with a shank going into the middle, middle of the pipe. He drew it out and he said, this is what I think. Same thing, just I want it up higher so I can have a smaller bowl. I'll be able to balance it more comfortably and continue to do my work, you know, leading the free people of America, you know, to victory (laughs) in war. And so that's what they did. That's exactly what they did. So they, they made that design based on the mock-up that he drew. And and of course, now it's forever going to be sold by Missouri Meersham. Another key piece that you see today, and we talk about this again in Smoke Lore, is that they have a little burnt ring. It's a real burned ring around the shank. And I don't quite know why, but whenever MacArthur got a pipe, one of his Missouri Meersham pipes, he would always burn a circle around the shank. Oh. And nowadays, that burn mark is there as a tribute. Uh, they would not be shipped that way originally, but MacArthur himself would make that ring, which is really interesting. Other things, so you said you don't remember what the what the name of the ship was. I think this is very fascinating. Think about it. Name of the ship that the Japanese surrendered on.
1: Oh, man. I, I know it. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, I feel like it's going to be the USS Missouri. It is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah isn't that crazy man yeah it's poetic it's poetic it is. it is it's almost like it was
0: planned in the simulation really interesting i'm sure a lot of you listeners were like oh it's missouri how do you not know that no it's it, right off the tip of your tongue right yeah. crazy really really crazy man but yeah man this has a long lasting effect in in pipe smoking history and in world history right the surrender happened all the soldiers what do they do they go home war has <laughs> ended see ya when you're a general, you got to stay. And what happens when you leave immediately? A lot of bad things. But that's what happened is, is MacArthur stays in Japan and, and serves as basically the authority. He's the, the president. main authority. He's like essentially the president of this country as the U.S. figures out how to give back Japan its power without being this imperialistic adversary. Yeah, And they figured it out. It took it took many years, but they eventually figured it out. But one thing is their, uh, their emperor. So that's uh, Emperor Hirohito. Young guy at the time, when we related back to pipe smoking, MacArthur's legacy. Nick had talked about it. He was the biggest advocate for keeping this man alive. The first thing they wanted to do, Japan, was execute him. And in order to really satisfy the transition of of giving Japan back what Japan is supposed to be about, for some reason, MacArthur felt that, I mean, it's just, I mean, as an American, like we can typically... Agree that execution is probably one of our last options, right? That's just something we're a little bit more progressive than that. And again, kept him alive at the end of the day. And uh, after all the aggression settled, after all of the Japanese propaganda settled, he started to realize that, you know what, this was an honorable thing. So while they might have lost the war and a way to, quote, honorably win, win that loss would be to kill your leader, execute yourself. They've since come full circle and they realize, you know, MacArthur was somewhat of a hero by keeping him alive and, you know, advocating for having him stay as the emperor as they really transitioned back to what is to be the, the modern Japan, right? And because of that, MacArthur's actually looked at or has historically been looked at as a hero in, in Japanese culture. And ever since the 50s, Missouri Meerschaum pipes have been a huge sale in, in Japan. And it, it's a direct correlation to this event, you know, especially the MacArthur five star. Missouri Meerschaum ships to over 70 countries, but outside of the US, Japan is definitely one of their, their highest yielded production uh, exports.
1: So with all of that, there's some kind of reflections that we put on already discussed in terms of, you know, corn cobs are are great for like trial tobaccos. But, you know, there's there's still these effects that corn cobs have on pipe smoking today. One could argue that, I mean, obviously, Adam's a, a pipe smoker. Go listen to the story on Pipes Magazine or listen to the first episode of the Get Pipe podcast. Damn, it was corn cobs. And I was smoking first. It was. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, and it's like, it's perfect. And, you know, that's why he got into this. And he's a pipe smoking, you know, military officer. Like, we've again, we've talked about that in terms of the connection to MacArthur. Yeah, I just compared you to MacArthur, so you're welcome. But there's just so much more to it. You know, the barrier to entry for pipe smoking is ultimately very low. And corn cobs are one of the main reasons for that. And that's why so many people smoke them right like that's why it was one of the first purchases of pipes that i had cuz just needed to have one and i think every pipe smoker should at some point what other kind of reflections do you have adam that corn cobs have had on maybe your life or or others as well
0: dude i i will forever talk about how the corn cob pipe is the ultimate field pipe mm. we we were talking as we were putting this episode together producer guys like i just want to mow my lawn (laughs) with a corn cob and 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 that's there's some truth behind that you know folks who are traveling long distances in in trucks across the country these drivers elect to smoke corn cob pipes like they can live in a truck they won't be harmed by living out there like a briar might you know they're just they're just great workhorse pipes and they're
1: seven dollars again
0: they're so cheap and I love the idea of the corn cob. and this is, I'm looking at it from strictly an American lens as well, but, yeah, you know, all of these apply outward, but I love the idea of the American model, the American mm. model of this factory in, inside uh, Washington, Missouri, and it's continuing to flourish, really. We look at continued innovative designs in, in the pipes that they're making. Uh, they're doing yeah. collaborations with websites. We think of tobacco pipes, smoking pipes, they've done, Literal collaboration pieces dedicated to those sites.
1: Maybe influencers one day.
0: Maybe a get piped corn cob. Pi- I have no. no idea, but like y- you never know, man. They've done. They have done it. They did it with Dodiff, who was who's a corn cob modder. Uh, so I mean, there's more mm-hmm. of a connection there. But you know, they. It, it's just something that the people who, the folks who run Missouri Museum are awesome folks. I've, I've met them yeah. several times. They are good people. Good people, and. Of course, I'm you know I got a podcast. I got to tell, I got to tell you everybody's good people, but they're good good people. If that makes sense, they know what's going on. They're in the community. They sponsor the events. They sponsored the Country Squire Radio. They were a main reason why they were able to get to episode 500. They continued to support Country Squire into the very last episode. And then they were there, you know, showing up to the Country Squire event. That was a, a huge cost that would have probably not been made by selling corn cob pipes on just that last episode mentions, right? You know, my point is these people are for the community. They're at the Vegas Pipe Show, they're at the Chicago Pipe Show, and they're at the mini shows as well. You know, they're sponsoring these events. The way I look at it is when I see a pipe show and it has all these sponsors, they are making that show happen. Without those sponsors, the show's not happening. And part of that is they want the show to happen, right? And I don't think Missouri Mearsham's thinking, oh, I'm gonna sell... 500 pipes at the Chicago Pipe Show. Right. Yeah, you know, they probably sold like 15, 20. And that's not going to offset the cost of getting there, right? Yeah. But they're part of the community, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. And when they do these innovations of these collaborations, they're they're always modifying their cobs in terms of better designs. They're just for the pipe smoker, man, and it's a company for the pipe smoker. So whether you're an American or not, I think having a corn cob pipe in your collection is, is absolutely... A must as a pie smoker.
1: Segments, segments. Let's go. We got two. This week we got a little bit of this or that. And then we got a little bit of blend blend. So let's dive into this or that. This is our segment where we choose one or the other. And they were almost all pipe smoking related. But we got a little grab bag this week. All from the amazing Galactic Get Piped Pipe Club. We got five submissions as always. And the first one this week is from my unfab life, aka Robin. He asks, bulk or tinned tobacco?
0: If I'm just looking at this or that, I'm going tinned. Mm. I-, I love tins, man. Everyone loves tins. They look cool, they age well. Bulk tobacco is not cool. Tobacco's cool, but bulk tobacco is not cool. You get in this pouch, and I'm almost keeping this as an asterisk away from something like the Country Squire, where they sh- ship it in their nice their their packages are great. Yeah, they, they are. have that nice stamp. That is almost tin like to me. You know, those yeah, are great. For the, sure. the the quantity fits the exact size of the bag, it's great. So when you order a bulk blend, you go Cornell and Deal autumn evening, they're gonna send it to you, whether smoking pies, pipe cigars, whoever, it's just gonna be in a little bag. You have to transition that tobacco from the bag to a jar. You have to do it. I don't own a bajillion mason jars, and when I do (laughs) own these mason jars and they get filled with tobacco, in my experience, this is Adam, this is Get Pie Speaking, this isn't saying the reality, they just sit in my closet. I have a ton of jars that I never touch. You know why? Because tins are way cooler, so I reach for my tins and then the tins generally keep the tobacco well a lot of folks a lot of old guys hate that no you got to get your tin you got to open it up and then put it into a jar so it ages properly that is ludicrous keep it in the tin especially if it's sealed but dude your tins fine man a- at least at least a year and i'm talking about the cornell and deal ones
1: with the plastic
0: yeah th- th- they're fine bro yeah. like don't keep don't put it in like the sunlight and yeah, I guess it de- depends on where you where you're from. I live in a rather humid environment, but
1: yeah, cool dark place, man. You're fine. You're right. fine. I uh, I'm gonna go tin too. I love tins, dude. I I I just do. I think they're beautiful, and I think uh, it. I'm the same thing. I don't have a bajillion mason jars or a lot of space to put them, so tinned. All right, next one from Piper underscore down. They ask: check tool or fancy tin.
0: Of course, the check tools are three piece tool. It's got that little poker. It's got the little spoon thing. I don't really know what that is, the spade looking thing. And then, of course, the tamp, the fancy tamper. We're thinking, I don't know, maybe a handmade. Brandon Brooks has a really cool one. Whenever he sells an artisan pipe, he typically includes a an old drumstick. He's a drummer. And uh, so he'll his old drumsticks, he'll cut, he'll smooth out and it's got a little wood chips missing out of it, and that that's pretty cute. I would argue that's a fancy tamper. Some folks will make them out of briar, some out of horn. I'm um, team check tool. If so I'm gonna pick between the two, the three piece tool is a pipe smoker's. It's the standard. You need mm. one. You need one on a keychain or something that you have all always on you. The three pieces is super functional. Uh, the fancy tampers are great for going to maybe an event, maybe a pipe smoking club. But when it comes to having to get rid of the or get rid of the ash or whatever, you're very limited, and and those are really just for tamping,
1: and then they're expensive. And if you lose them, it's
0: like, oh damn.
1: I'm a, I'm gonna go check tool as well. I I love mine. I think it's super useful, super easy, super cheap, in terms of literal price, not quality. It's like a corn cob. Does a job. Works great. And uh, yeah, love it. All right, next one, bear. Actual asks, time travel to the past or to the future?
0: I'm going past here. Oh. Dude, I don't do the futures tomorrow. No one knows. Mm. I don't care. Do I stress about it? I, I don't know. I think something about the past. I had actually had a dream the other day when I was telling producer guy about it because he was in it. And it was like, I was me, I was 25, 26 or however old I am. And I was talking to... Our group of friends from high school, which was producer guy and then two other folks, I was sitting there trying to explain to at the time Nick Masella, that he would eventually be producer guy and like, hey man, like we are going to have this really successful podcast. You know, like we do it every week. You have a job, you have kids, and I know their names. I could tell you who your wife is. It was crazy, and it was just like this weird awakening experience of how time goes by. And and of course we're young, man. So, so all our, you know, all the older folks listening are probably like, ah, now they're learning. They're learning what it's like to reflect on time and how that affects your mental perception of your reality. And I don't know, it was a, it was a very out of body experience. I remember waking up really wishing I could go back to sleep and continue that dream. Mm. It it felt, it felt cool. It felt good to see, have I I've always seen those things? It's like, hey, if you take the red pill, you could go back in time to when you were 10, but you have all your knowledge now or blue pill, you get a bajillion dollars right now. What would you rather do? <laughs> as much as I don't want to redo things, I think it would be pretty cool to be 10 years old or whatever with the knowledge I have now. Uh, I'm team past.
1: Mm. I'm going go to go the future just to be opposite. I think it would be really interesting to like just see how the world is. Uh, I don't know, like the past is, I've seen the world as it is. I've lived that. And not that I I worry about the future or necessarily want to go the future. I don't know, I'm just, just interested. Probably like maybe after all the immediate family that I know right now is like dead.
0: If I was going to go future, man, I would want to go so far. Yeah. Imagine you ask that question, someone like, yeah, I'd love to go three months in the future. Yeah. I'm really curious. No. Like, dude, No. Man, I'm talking like 300 years, 40 yeah, years. yeah. Something, something that like, See how things are going. Yeah. Are they going? It's
1: just desolate. There's just <laughs> yeah.
0: You never know. And we will never know.
1: Next one, fourth one is from One Big Duck. They ask Bjorn or Treebeard?
0: Uh, great question. Uh, this is referring to two Tolkien characters, Bjorn being from The Hobbit and then Treebeard from The Lord of the Rings. 99% of the people listening will know of Treebeard. A lot of folks probably won't generally know of Bjorn. If you do, it's from. The folks who've read it or it's from the films, Film Beorn is not cool, horrible, very bad character, but Book Beorn is one of my favorite characters in all of Tolkien. To include Treebeard, I actually don't like Treebeard at all, really. The the film does really well of making him talk really slow and boring, and the book does even better at making it even more boring, and it's the longest 3-hour audio chapter of Andy Serkis. Dude, just talking like Treebeard. I am Treebeard. I don't like Treebeard that much at all. Uh, respect, respect the game, but they they really nailed it with Bayorn in terms of the books. And I'm so heartbroken that uh, Peter Jackson decided to not make Bayorn the character that he is in the books. So we can we can touch on that in another. You know, ask Adam anything or something. I'd love to break that one down for you. But just to, for this or that, I'm going Bayorn.
1: I don't know who that is, just because I haven't fully read The Hobbit yet. Or seen the movies. So I'm just gonna go tree beard. Um I think when he actually works, when he actually gets into this when zone, he actually works. <laughs> yeah, when he actually gets after it at um was it Helm's Deep? Isengard. Uh, Isengard, Isengard, yeah. Yep. He uh That's a good point. They just get after it.
0: He so. does kick ass. Yeah, he's really cool. But <laughs> what you're right, when he gets working. <laughs> <laughs> when he gets working.
1: All right. Our last one is from Smoke Baca, aka Don. He asks bull coding? or no bowl coating. And there is some nuance to this. So he says, I know bowl coating versus no bowl coating has been asked before, but this is a little bit of a different question. Which is better for developing a cake, smooth bowl or textured? A little background on my reason for asking this. I recently bought a pipe that has a polished smooth chamber, the smoothest I've ever seen, in fact. And while people usually say that a bowl coating helps the cake building process get started faster, I found that this ultra-smooth chamber has quickly built one of the best first cakes I've ever had. So I was wondering if Adam had ever encountered this. So, again, bowl coating or no bowl coating in terms of developing a cake? So in the original
0: bowl coating versus no bowl coating, I was team no bowl coating. I think the the appearance of a no, like just that wood color, that natural wood is so appealing to me, and I, I love that. But in terms of building a cake, this is a tough one because I still want to say, let's give a little bit of context real quick on bowl coatings. Generally, it's when you look at the chamber, we're talking inside the chamber. So bowl coating is really a chamber coating. Chamber meaning the inside, right? What that does is one, it's a protection. It's an inner coating that acts as like a, a protective layer between, you know, just the wood and your burning tobacco. It's also can be used for moisture absorption to a degree. It's a great heat insulation. So even better than briar, which is already really, really awesome, then it can affect the flavor to a degree, it can get rid of some of that natural briar taste. Not necessarily good or bad. It's very neutral, um, but it can. I guess it's it's less of the, the natural briar taste and more of what will happen from the natural briar taste, which is ghosting. So typically a bowl coating might protect a little bit against some of those ghosting characteristics that you otherwise might find with a natural bowl. These are huge broad strokes and everyone's going to have a different experience. In my experience, the bowl coating is definitely better for cake development. Yeah, I, as much as I don't want that to be the answer... And again, every pipe's going to be a little bit different. Typically, I don't know the science behind it, but it just allows for that chamber carbon buildup. And the thing is, the reason why I want to pick the smooth is because I don't care. I'm not a huge fan or I'm not concerned with bowl cake as much at all. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, I just don't care. My palate isn't fine-tuned enough to really know the difference between smoking a bowl with a carbon cake and smoking a bowl smoking a briar bowl without any kind of carbon cake, like, I'm just being real with you right now. And I think I think the lack of that bowl coating is really cool. But but folks who have been smoking pipes for way longer than me will, will typically agree that the bowl coating does have uh, a better yield of building that carbon cake. And the last thing I'll add is there's many different kinds of bowl coatings, some of which are very bad. Some are, in my opinion, in my opinion some have the um some can break apart some are powdery I don't, i'm not a huge fan of those i'd rather just have none uh but some are very very well you look at nate king pipes his are phenomenal they are perfect you know you you almost question how is this bowl coating not being how is it not touching the wood you know on, on some of these artisan pipes but yeah I, I guess that's kind of long-winded i'm going for your question bowl coating but i still team no bowl coating because i don't care about carbon cake and that might be heresy. Some of you might be <laughs> freaking out because people love their carbon cakes. I just, yeah. I don't know. Briar is can stand the test of time. I've yet to burn out a pipe as much as I want to, just to to say Try I have. It. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I know it does. But does it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I I am not. I don't even know if I can answer this one. I'm gonna say no bowl coating.
0: Well, let's let's go with. Let's go with what do you think based on appearance. No bulk coding.
1: yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, I like I like having that that wood. I don't, yeah. But if you have any more of this or that, or if you just disagree with Adam, and you just want to be angsty and let us know, let us know. Uh, the best way to do that is our Galactic Get Pipe Pipe Club. There's a channel specifically for this or that, or you can just shoot me a message, and then I'll tell Adam that you're disagree with him, or you can send us an email, show at getpiped.co. But our next series today is one that I am going to take a little bit of a backseat on because I'm not really involved in this one. And this one is blend blend. So this, this series is, is seldom done. I think we've done it twice, maybe once once or twice. I think it was twice, twice. something like that. And um, this series where Adam blends two types of tobacco together uh, to create a new one. And um, he lets it marry and, and blend over a specific period of time. Uh, he smokes it multiple times and then gives the results. So this, we got a little, really like this name. It's uh, Escudolce. We got a combination of Escudo, Molto Dolce. So Adam, take us away.
0: This was blended back the 24th of July. I have written on the tin right here or the jar. First time I've opened up a damn jar was today to smoke this blend. Because again, I'm a tin guy. (laughs) But I had this jar from July 24th of of last year, 2022. And uh, I remember making this. And the skinny here on the blend blend is I had a way cooler name. I think I talked about this the last time we did it, which had to have been 20 episodes ago or something. I had a way cooler name that was something about like tobacco titans or something cool that made sense to where you were putting tobacco together Or I was like master blending blend thing. And I forgot what it was. I didn't write it down. And then by the time we got to it, all I could come up with was blend blend. So the name is I love it. stuck. I know it's so bad. It's so good. But for our blend blend, <laughs> the two blends we have blending of course, is a scudo, uh, the very, very popular uh, Virginia Perique. Uh, mostly Virginia, in in my opinion, one of those Virginia Pareeks that I can can really tolerate. And then Multo Dolce, one of the most prominent, overpowering aromatic tobaccos in the history of pipe smoking. And the primary reason for putting these two together was the name. That was that was most of it, to be completely honest. Uh, and it did not fail. That is a great name, Escudo Dolce, in terms of. The intent after the great name, I wanted to do, I wanted to find a way to give a little bit of flavor to the vapor. And the intent was just to find that balance between Aero, Virginia, and Perique. Again, talking about how there's not too much Perique. So now it was making sure it wasn't too much of an aromatic, but still getting those those Virginia, those natural Virginia qualities. We know that when we make aromatic tobaccos, it's primarily consisting of a Virginia um, or potentially a, a Burley or otherwise a Cavendish. With this Multo Doce, it's very Cavendish heavy. And I didn't want to take away all the flavor from the Virginia. I didn't want to just make it basically aromatic, aromatic parique And I think, I think that's what I ended up doing. What I did was I did half <laughs> equal parts. I did one part Escudo and I did one part Multo Doce, And then I threw in some random coins. So with that first breakdown of the escudo i made sure to do it in grams and i broke it apart so it would be exact and then again so my my thought process was do half half and then continue to throw a couple escudo virginia pre coins in there to so have the whole coin marry as opposed to the shredded leaf and yeah i uh i smoked it today i actually had a phone call with a good friend nate king the king of pipes uh master of pipes and i was smoking it out of nothing other than a Missouri Meerschaum five-star General <laughs> MacArthur. Uh, so that was a fun experience. I actually smoked an entire bowl of it. It was good. It was good. It was actually, I mean, I guess the end of blend blend, I'm going to say, should you make this blend? Uh, no, no, <laughs> I am not a tobacconist and I don't plan to be, but that is not one that you should do. Uh, but it was good. It was better than, here, here's a good way to put it. Is dolce better than Molto dolce? Yes, <laughs> is dolce better than Escudo? No. There we go. We just—I just thought oh, through that live. I like now that. moving forward, if I ever, whenever we do blend blend, is it recommended? Will less be—is it good or not? And more of—is it better than the the sum of the the individual components? So, all uh, right. This one fails. This is not better than Escudo, uh, but it is definitely better than Multidolce. So, if you have a ton of Multidolce which you don't love, and you got some Escudo that you're okay with, maybe consider making it. But, there but it was fun. The name's cool. I'm a big name guy. We're talking Esca anecdotal. Dolce. We're talking Escudolce. Dolce. I don't even know. If it was, what is that? Mexican or something? With a little bit of... Yeah, yeah. Like Dolce. Like Trace. Oh. No, okay. I'm thinking Trace Leches.
1: Yeah, Dolce though is like... Um,
0: milk? Milk. No, that's Leche.
1: That's Leche. <laughs> I've
0: been smoking with this. My very famous... Uh, well, maybe not famous, but I want to make it famous. At least at the Get pipe Pipe community. My Zippo lighter that was made from our good friend Stacy at Mohir and Bespoke Works. It's a picture... It's the words tin art a la carte and then it says one hundred percent spanish
1: oh yes I
0: and and that, that was a direct quote from me and it's got a little pipe on it it's an awesome lighter and I've been using that a ton this this past the past two weeks and uh yeah it's just uh it's very wholesome and it makes me feel really good every time I look at it so I love it. anyway i'm not gonna I'm not gonna now dive into where I think these this language comes from because I don't have a great track record but anyway end result not better than the sum of a uh, you know, all three parts or whatever of of both two parts. So yeah, blend, blend, really fun. Escu Dolce, you guys got any ideas on any other blend names or blend, blend opportunities, you know, send them my way. I got a couple that I want to get done. Uh, But yeah, it was a little fun one. And I hope you guys enjoyed this little little different segment for sure. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's close this one out.
1: Where where can people find you if they want more of GetPipe?
0: If they want more get piped, I'd say the number one place would be youtube.com slash get pipe for some of the most premier YTPC. We're talking YouTube pipe community content. We have a new video airing on June 1st. I, I love where this is going, man. I got a video that came out in the month of April. I had a video that came out in the month of May. And I'm gonna have a video come out right at the beginning of June, June 1st. Uh, that one is going to be dedicated to the pipe crate. It's going to be a little bit different than the talk we had, the little discussion we had a couple episodes ago, thinking episode 069 uh, in the, the Real Recommend Reel. It goes deeper, got a little bit more information, a little, little game plan has been happening on their end, and uh, got some inside sauce. And this is going to be a little bit of a call out video might be a little bit of
1: call out what
0: yeah yeah you know so so i i addressed it in the go check out 69 if you haven't and you'll get the little the context on that but we're gonna ma- we're gonna put it in a video format and i think it's gonna be really really cool the script is ready i'm gonna try to shoot that tomorrow uh but i got a lot going on this week but that'll be out june 1st you're gonna want to watch that the day it goes live and i will remind you On my Instagram account. So make sure you're there. That's Instagram at get underscore pipe. But if you follow me, make sure you follow my right hand man, GPP underscore producer guy. Finally, if all else fails, I will post it as I always do, or producer guy always does. And the Galactic Get Pipe Pipe Club, our ever growing 550 plus member pipe club that transcends that of the national and international level. Link Mm. is in the show notes. Join it, create a free account, make an alias, and come join the amazing. Galactic,
1: get piped, pipe club. Dang, you do not want to miss that. You do not want to miss it. We just had uh, we had some people come into the group, some good friends of ours, and uh, it's just they're just making it better. Like every person that joins adds a new component to the club, and uh, I love that. Whether they're an experienced pipe smoker who's been doing it for decades or someone who's brand new, who's like I searched. Pipe podcast. I found you, and I've been smoking a pipe for a week. We have those people, we have those folks, and uh, they all bring a uh, awesome component to the pipe club.
0: Some of the better ones too, or not better. That's that sounds. (laughs) But I'd say some of my favorite will without a doubt be the ones we got one today. A gentleman joined, and he said, "I've been a long time listener of the show, and I decided to finally join." In that, I don't make any money. I have no intrinsic value tied to folks joining, other than my heart, you know, just getting a little happy that we're, we're providing some kind of some kind of space for pipe smokers to convene. The thing is, like, I'm not actively trying to convince everyone listening to join the Galactic Get By Pipe Club. Yeah. But if you did, it'd be cool that that's kind of what I'm getting at. So, yeah, you know, it's funny. Some of you folks are going to hear this and you're going to continue to say no. And I'm cool with it. You're cool with it. But then in 45 episodes, you might be the one to be like, you know what? OK, I'll do it. <laughs> All right. You got me. So I don't know. I'm not trying to get you, but we'd love to have you. So that is that. Let's be done.
1: But uh, yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's be done. Let's uh, let's share this podcast with with any and all pipe smokers, new age, old age, young age, folks who've been doing it for decades, folks who have been doing it for a week. But do not just share with the men. Share with the women and the children too. But Adam, my good friend, get pipes, sir. What are your wise words of wisdom? This week,
0: this one is going to be interesting, man. So the episode generally ties a little bit to it as well. Uh, And also with my work week coming up, what's coming up? We know Memorial Day is coming up, right? And I've been I've been kind of in a military mood, which is cool. Uh, I'm not typically very much in the mood of the military since it's my job. Uh, But we just had a finance ball. I'm a a finance officer now transitioning from infantry. But we had a ball uh, for the finance regiment. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, man. We had that last night by the time of recording. And we were supposed to go to the field originally. So I'm in the six-month course, right? We're on month five. And the end of the course, there's there's supposed to be seven days in the field, okay? Which is pretty crazy because, come on, it's finance. It's finance. But, but we have 7 days field exercise. The funny piece is the infantry branch, when they do their captain course, they have zero days in the field. Hmm. Interesting, but but we had the seven days. Uh, but every few years, three to four to five ish years is a ball for the finance core, and it happens to be this year during my course. And that date fell on the Friday, the day before we were supposed to go to the field. So the original plan was we go to this ball Friday night, and then we go to the field at four a.m. on Saturday. Insane. So they were like, okay, now we'll push it one day to Sunday. You'll go out Sunday, so you'll have twenty four hours, thirty six hours, or whatever to kind of recover and. All right, you're going to rock out to the field and start training. During the ball, our famed colonel, one of my heroes, man, he's standing up addressing the entire room. There's, dude, there's two star generals in there. There's so many other Fulbert colonels, majors, captains, even lieutenants, and tons of sergeant majors retired. Like this is a full venue of military folks. And Colonel Warley goes, the captain's over there, and we are all kind of in the same section. In 36 hours from now, they're they're going to be stepping on a road march, but there's a decision point to be made. So he's like. We could have them do that, or we can push them one day to the right and, and have them step off Monday 04. And he's like, let's hear it for remain at Sunday 04. And so many NCOs were screaming and it didn't sound good. I was like, uh oh, this is not going out how I thought it would be. Uh, and then, then when he pitched it for the, the following day, the roar was much louder, which was, was very yes. appreciative. And it's funny because I was like, man, I hate every single NCO right now who is screaming. But those are the first ones I want on my team. True. Those are the first ones I want on my team. Everyone who screamed during that, during the first day, send them, send them to me, send them my way. (laughs) You know, all the other ones, they, I don't want them, but no. So very fortunately we're, we're going out one extra day. So I'll be gone all week. So hopefully this episode airs well on, on Thursday, I'll still be out there hoping to be home, but um, I'm going to bring out my pipes, man. I'm going to be smoking, smoking some corn cobs, bringing my field pipes, getting some hopefully other folks into the hobby as well these are always a really great opportunity for me. And uh, yeah, I think as we move into that following weekend, which is Memorial Day, you know, we, we sit back and, you know, just reflect on this service. I'm not, I'm not going to try to come up with something new, something you haven't heard in other Memorial Day celebrations. Uh, you know, just just keep it in mind, man, uh, you know, especially as times get tough, especially as we look at wars that are going on. And then, of course, the prospect of us being brought into that and something that we we talk about all the time. And we hope. We hope it doesn't happen. I would love to not go to war. Uh, but, you know, in the event that I do, I'll make sure to bring a corncob pipe and uh, hopefully come back uh, on the other side. Right. So, True. yeah, let's just uh, let's sit back. Enjoy. Enjoy the weekend, guys. Uh, it's going to be you're not going to hear from me for a little bit. But, yeah, Memorial Day will be, you know, one just to sit back, reflect and uh, enjoy it. You know, I'm, I'm team. Don't ignore all those Facebook things that say you shouldn't be having a barbecue. This is Memorial Day. Like, dude, that. What? <laughs> Dude, no. Dude, no. Enjoy your day. This is for you, man. We serve and we win wars so you can have your barbecue.
1: America. Exactly
0: if you're just sitting there being yeah. sad, that's not a good way to celebrate your day off. So, anyway, I will get off because you have all just been piped. And until the next piping, we are out.